Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shwini Poo, and this is episode 156. We are all getting over New Year's hangovers, uh, and I'm joined by my co-host, Stacey Patton. That's at Stacey Patton 89 to get to discuss the Knicks' collective New Year's hangover that they're enduring. Uh, Stacey, what's going on? Doing pretty well. Uh, happy to officially be a fan of, uh, of an NFL playoff team. From the NFC East, so um, not sure how many of our podcast listeners can say that, but yeah, well, you know, it happens. Um, but before we get started today, uh, I just want to let everybody know that the Strickland does have a Patreon. Uh, you can subscribe to it. There are multiple tiers. Uh, the six dollar tier gets you access to Pod Strickland every Friday. It also gets you access to mine jeremy and doug's drew uh our mailbag together it also gets you access to the strickland discord where we commiserate about the knicks all the time uh also if you subscribe to the nine dollar tier you get access to weekly articles from jack huntley and matthew miranda two of the best in the business in terms of writing in general uh but more specifically basketball writing and even more specifically knicks writing uh so definitely check that out you also get access to uh, sorry, my podcast, uh, the individual one, Strick and Roll. Uh, if you want to listen to me yell even more about the Knicks. Uh, other than that, there are also further tiers, $15, $30, $50, and $100 tiers. Uh, all of those come with additional benefits, like discounts on merchandise, uh, joining us on pod recordings, and even potentially hosting a podcast with us. Uh, whether you subscribe or not, we want to thank you for your support. And without further ado, let's get into this episode. Uh, Stacy, uh, look, the Knicks are shorthanded, so I, I will say this: I think like a, some of the, like it doesn't bother me that much they're losing. That's not actually what pisses me off at, at all, really. Um, it's more about how it's happening. Um, so that I don't want to get into that too much because I want to get your thoughts on it, but. You know, I'm just curious, like, do you agree with that? Disagree with that? You know, what What are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I think the process is more concerning a lot of the times than the results. Um, I think, you know, uh, part of the adjustment so far this year has been you had a five and one start where we often looked like a really good team. It's, you know, we've had to accept that that was probably more the anomaly than the rule. And then, um, I think, yeah, like to your point, I think playing without pace on offense, lack of attention to detail on defense um, is pissing me off. But for a game like yesterday, yeah, they got smoked. Um, but, you know, if it's young kids who are making mistakes that we see growth in, that to me is less concerning than 
vets making the same mistakes and continuing to get latitude. Um, I think you asked Magri about this too, but yeah, like there's kind of inconsistent treatment. It seems like, um, so like, yeah, if you're going to be bad, and yeah, you're not- I, can, I can read off, I can read off the question, uh, just to give it a little more context. Um, and sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but I figured since you brought it up, um, the question I asked Macri, uh, and obviously you can just take it further from here. Uh, what I asked him was this, why is Tibbs used Todd and Knox over Obi as a role man? Does schematic rigidity like this cap our ceiling under him, and could it hasten his departure if things don't change? Uh, do I get do I get points for using the word hasten? Um, I don't know. I think I hasten should. Randall. Uh, does Tibbs <laughs> does I'm studying from SAT verbal. Uh, does Tibbs preaching accountability begin to fall on deaf ears when applied unequally between vets and young players? Um, so sorry to cut you off, but please go ahead. Yeah, so I think you nailed it on the head, right? It's two major things. It's are we playing or moving towards a style that eventually is going to be conducive to winning? Um, and two, you know, is there an issue with the fact that, yeah, I mean, you, know, you can have certain players loaf on multiple possessions, take make a lot of bad decisions, and still play a 10-minute stint, and then you can have certain other players who can play their ass off and make a huge few plays, um, but can have one late, slightly late closeout that doesn't really have to do with effort, and then will be top and is done for the rest of the night. So those are the kinds of things that are annoying and upsetting. Yeah, and I, I will say this: I know that, like, when we at when I ask when I, you know when we read a question like that or have a question like that, it comes across very much as like Julius, but like I don't think it's just Julius, and that's no, why it's forty eight too. It's a bit yeah, that's it's a, works at times. Yeah, it's and that's why it's actually very, it's it's also it's also Kemba. Like, and I know that sounds weird because Kemba got benched, but like. I mean, Kemba has even said this, and I don't. I mean, I don't think this is literally true. Where it's like Tibbs never talked to him. I think it's more like he never explained to him. But like, I don't remember a single time. And Kemba's made a bunch of mistakes here. Like we've talked about it a, a ton on here. Um, I don't remember a single time where Kemba may have like fucked up and Tibbs called a timeout and just got on him. You know, like I don't remember that. Or even like. He made such an egregious blunder that Tibbs called a timeout and pulled him out of the game, or immediately rushed quickly up there to get him out of the game. I don't remember that. I don't remember that once. Maybe I'm totally wrong on that. Um, it's not so. Like you know, last year, if you're talking about holding vets accountable, right? Um, you don't really need to do that. You know, Reggie, not that type of guy. Elf, I would say that to a degree he did do that, right? I mean, probably not enough, not like we wanted, but. He did cut his minutes drastically as the minute as the season went on, um, and routinely just didn't play him ever down the stretch of games. So, to some extent, I think that was that was achieved. Um, but like, you know, the only guys that really, you know, only vets you'd say that really got away with a lack of necessarily holding them accountable would have been Julius, who was playing out of his fucking mind. So, like, you know, you didn't really need to. And also, what can you do? He was clearly your best player, and he was playing like it. He was carrying the load. There's really, I don't think anybody had a problem with it then. Uh, and Derek Rose, who I don't think anybody's ever going to have a problem if Tibbs isn't like braiding him or, you know, immediately well, calling timeouts to last year and Bullock to, an ex- to a lesser extent, right? So, yeah, I mean, but I, I don't think Bullock, like, did you really need to hold him accountable? Like, you know, like, yeah, it was what? rarely, an, I don't remember, it was I, really I, an issue of effort or focus. But like when other players miss shots, they get pulled out, right? When he got when he missed shots, he didn't. Um, 
but like, but like, there are also games where he wouldn't close. So like, it's not like like we saw games where Burks and RJ would close or IQ. Like it was, it was definitely much more egalitarian. I think it's safe to say last year's team, and it was a lot more workmanlike. And I think it suited Tibbs in a way because he had specific roles for specific guys, and a lot of these guys fit into those. Like Bullock, I need you to be like the attention to detail glue guy defense dude that does nothing on offense, but like take spot up threes. And that's all you're going to do. You don't have any other responsibility. You don't have any other latitude. That's what, that's your job. And that's what I want you to do. And that was easy for Bullock to buy into. And that was great. And Elf, you know, whatever our misgivings about him, I think it's safe to say he did the things Tibbs wanted him to do. And that's why he stayed in the rotation. As long as he did, we can agree or disagree with that decision, but at a very core level, uh, he did the things that Tibbs wanted him to do. So that's okay. Um, this year, you know, Julius obviously has fallen off a cliff. Like, I don't get the purpose of, yeah, you can sit here and tell me like, well, you know, Kemba and Fournier are not as good defensive players as Peyton and Bullock, so you have to expect this, and that's not Tibbs' fault, and blah, blah. Okay, but like, the point of getting those guys, right, was Julius Randle, we saw the limitations of point Julius and running everything through him and that we needed to add more guys capable of creating off the dribble with the ball in their hands. Um, now, if you want to convince me that we signed the wrong guys, that's fine. I'm open to that argument. I think there's plenty of evidence and we'll get to Forney himself and Kemba and all these guys a little later. But like, I think there's definitely evidence to suggest that we signed the wrong guys or that the guys we signed aren't the cleanest fits together and all. Yes, there's all kinds of evidence to, to support all of this shit. But I also think that more or less we're just running the same offense we did last year. And that's pretty concerning to me when the purpose of signing guys with more ability offensively is to diversify your offensive approach. And I haven't seen that. And I haven't seen much of it at all. I mean, the main thing I can say that we changed before Julius got COVID and has had to miss time is that we were running more DHOs with Julius. Like, that's honestly the one thing I can say clear-cut difference. And here's what also complicates it, because it's not just that we signed Fournier and Kemba and the offense is him. We also have guys like OB is clearly better. People will debate whether IQ is better or not. I think he's pretty clearly better, but whatever. It doesn't really matter whether they, like, OB is definitely better. IQ and RJ worked to get better, so they want to kind of, you know, have the opportunity to show off skills that they feel they have improved upon. You can tell me they're wrong or whatever, but the fundamental reality is there's nothing that the vets have done that we've played a bunch to, you know, make RJ or IQ think, well, I couldn't do, like, you know, I get why those guys are getting more minutes or more touches or whatever to me. And I know people will be like, well, RJ's starting, he's getting a bunch of touches, blah, blah, blah. I want to read a few RJ stats uh, that I looked up today. So I thought they were interesting. Uh, so I was looking up his shot, sh- shooting chart. Here's a fun thing, okay? Last year, 32.5% of his shots came at the rim. This year, 26.2%. So that's a 7% drop-off of all of his attempted field goals that are coming at the rim this year. He's actually shooting better this year. Uh, this is all basketball reference, by the way. Uh, 
He's shooting 62.3% at the rim, 0 to 3 feet. I know if you look it up on NBA.com, it'll be it's like 58.5%. But last year, he was at 55%, according to NBA.com. So either way, he's improved his efficiency at the rim, but he's shooting way less at the rim. Um, he's also taking just over 40% of all of his field goals this year are threes. Um, last year, it was 29.2% of all field goals. Uh, he's also taking, uh, sorry, 43% of his twos are assisted this year versus 35.3 his first two years in the NBA. Um, you can, you know, argue whatever you want, but I think it's pretty clear looking at the numbers and watching us play that we have, and not, we're not, I'm fucked I'm not saying we, I didn't do shit. Uh, Tibbs has made him more of an off-ball player and has reduced his on-ball reps. We haven't seen anywhere near as much pistol action for him run this year. Um, and I know that some of it... Besides the one I want to put in my mouth most days. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I know that... Watching the Knicks. Yeah. Right? Uh, I know that some of that is, you know, he's obviously had health and all kinds of issues, which, you know, fine. Like, I under, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that. But I think even adjusting for that... The trend here is a little bit worrisome. And, um, you know, I, I just feel like, like, what are we doing at this point? And what is Tibbs's goal? Like, because I'm watching that game yesterday. And to me, it's like, like, you have, you have, like, fucking, you know, you're shorthanded. Julius is out. Derek is out, Kemba is out. So three of your creators are gone. I'm watching that game yesterday, and I'm like, well, Burks comes in, and IQ comes in, and the offense is still like running primarily through them, running like pick and rolls. And yeah, I mean, if you want to say, well, this just shows IQ is not a point guard, like whatever. If you want to make that argument, go for it. Um, that's not really my like. What I don't understand is why are you not having guys like RJ and Evan initiate more. And trust me, this is not to say I think Evan played well, because I thought his play yesterday was abominable. Um, but, like, you're not putting, like, you're not, even now, you're still not really prioritizing um, their touches in terms of getting them on the ball and letting them create. And I'm just going to, my last thing, before I throw it back over to you, Stacey, uh, I pulled up the 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 passes uh, from yesterday's game specifically, and I thought this was very revealing. Um, here, here, a few. Okay, uh, sorry, one second. Okay, yesterday, uh, RJ Barrett played twenty nine minutes. He received thirty seven passes. He made twenty eight passes. He had three assists. He had seven potential assists. Uh, Emmanuel quickly, 28 minutes, four assists. Or he had 57 passes made, 71 passes received, seven potential assists, four actual assists. Alec Burks, he played 27 minutes, 51 passes received, 54 passes made, six potential assists, only two assists. Like, to me, there's just, there's no excuse for that. Like, I don't see how R.J. Barrett in a situation like yesterday, is is getting way less touches 
than Quickly and Burks. And that's not a knock on those guys because I like both of them. They're both good players. And I understand why they need to get on the ball too. I just think that's so out of whack and it speaks to a lack of willingness to adjust and adapt to being shorthanded and what you have available to you. Also, this was the, I'm just going to throw this out there because, you know, I got some pushback on shitting on Evan yesterday and I just see nothing to change my mind about this. Uh, One, yes, he scored an efficient 20 points. Congratulations. Round of applause for Evan Fournier. Um, He also literally did not contribute anything else. Literally did not contribute anything else. No rebounds, no assists, no steals, no blocks. He had, in 26 minutes, do you want to guess how many potential assists he had, Stacy? Three. Excuse me, three? One. One. He had one. The loneliest One potential assist. Yes, uh, he received 33 passes and made 24 passes. So, yes, was he involved a ton in the offense uh, other than to finish plays? No, but I think when you have the opportunities he did when he was driving, putting the ball on the floor, he definitely had opportunities to create for others, and he didn't do it at all. And um, am I being overly harsh on him? Maybe. Yeah, maybe I am. I don't really give a fuck. Um, Because I think that he has not played up to expectation. And I think he's exhibited some troubling tendencies. I will say, I thought his post-game comments yesterday uh, were very pointed. Uh, and I thought he made, I think, I know people were shitting on him because he said something like about how, you know, he's a playmaker and he can do anything with the ball in his hands. And yes, it sounds hilarious given what we've seen of him this year. Um, what I will say is this. He also made a very, very pointed, he made two very specific things to say. And I think this speaks to an internal brewing of issues among uh, along the roster uh, of issues with how Tibbs is coaching this year. He made two very specific comments. He mentioned one specifically how he's been a playmaker throughout his career and that yes, in fact, he did play point guard his first year in the NBA and that he's been a playmaker for, uh, you know, again, throughout his career for both the Magic and for Team France. He also made a point to say that he will do whatever is asked of him offensively or whatever the coach asked him to do. I thought that was a, those were very, very pointed remarks, and I thought his performance yesterday preceding those remarks was very telling. I don't think he's very happy with how he's being used, and I think he's actually making a very, very concerted effort, in some ways, to, to take it too literally. Uh, and we saw something like this a little bit with Elf last year, if you remember how, you know, for whatever we want to say about Elf prior to last season, he was always a pretty good passer, right? Pretty good drive and kick player, whatever. Last year, his passing went off a cliff, and that was probably because Tibbs instructs his point guards that he wants them to score. Now, Elf probably took that a little too literally. Um, I don't think he meant to. I don't think it was intentional. I think that's just how he took it. I think 48, to some extent, is taking some of this stuff literally and is doing it in a way that is because he's unhappy with how he's being used. Uh, so I know I just talked for a lot of time and I brought up a lot of things, but I'm curious to kind of get your thoughts on all the shit I just brought up. Well, first of all, where are you seeing potential assists? I might, that's just a curiosity because I'm looking at the player tracking from the video box score, but I don't see potential assists on there. Uh, you have to go to the tracking stats and then you got to go to, you got to turn it to last game and then just search all the next players. It'll pop up. Yeah. Okay. I'm going from the video box score. Uh, it's also worth <laughs> noting that, um, McBride in 15 minutes had 19 passes, 27 touches, um, three assists. I don't know how many potential assists he had, 
Um, it does seem last yesterday, I think, because of more because of quickly size limitations uh, for the ammo for the camp of people who are like quickly is strictly an off ball player and a Lou Williams type. There was some uh, ammo there. Uh, McBride looked a little bit more comfortable in the paint and attacking. Um, yeah, I mean, I think going back to what you're saying about Fournier, he is being used in. It can both be the fact that he's <clears throat> he has done a poor job of adjusting. Um, it doesn't excuse his. Yeah, I just want to be clear. I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm not absolving. I want to make it very clear. I don't. I. I don't think he's the right messenger, and I don't like the way. If he is sending a message, he's choosing to go about it. But there is some truth to his message, and I don't think we should let our issues with Evan, which are well-founded and deserve, uh, I don't think we should let that distract us from the fact that I think he does bring up a good point and is hinting at some things that are true. Sorry, go ahead, Stacey. Yeah, and so, um, I mean, that's kind of been my my thing has been we're doing this Randall-centric thing, and last year it was, well, they just lack anyone else. This year, that's not the case, right? And you can say that we got the wrong guys. But the alternative hypothesis, especially in games where Randall doesn't play and they still stagnate for large stretches and they aren't being able to use Obi the way you would like as much, um, then you start to think, is Randall the issue, right? And are we playing through Julius Randall at slower pace like that and having everyone else stand around because that is a Julius Randall request or, you know, if we did have a new coach, would Randall be rolling and popping and doing more on offense and, and playing in a more team game? The kind of, I wouldn't have said he, I mean, he was still a bit of a ball stopper in new Orleans, but um, you know, th- there he was able to, we were, he was able to use, be used more in a modern offense. If that's a Tibbs issue, it's worth having that conversation. And um, you don't have to agree with Evan Fournier, the way he's doing it or think that, that make would make a difference and make him a good player to to suggest that those things are things worth mentioning. And um, I don't know what the solution is. Do you give him an offensive coordinator? Do you does the front office have a talk with him? I don't know, but um, I think it's worth, especially if during the stretch with Randall out, you still see them play pretty stagnant. Um, and they're playing the same way. It's almost like Rand. Like it's like like even the after timeout plays, right? Like you know how like. How annoying is it that so much of our after timeout plays just end up being like throw the ball to Julius in the like on the wing and just have him ISO, right? Like it's like I'm watching the after timeout plays the last couple of games and I'm like, so we just we're just giving that to Fournier now and that's it? Like like that's that's the adjustment. Um and yeah, I mean yeah, I, I don't know, I don't know. I, I thought I agree with you. I think it's watching some of the stuff without Randall, it's just like you know, I think it's even more annoying because you watch us play like Minnesota. Right, they were down. What they didn't have D'Lo, they didn't have Anthony Edwards, they didn't have Cat, and they found a way to junk up the game. They they changed how they're playing a little bit. They junked it up and they made it a competitive game, and we couldn't pull away. And yes, uh, that is also revealing about Tibbs' unwillingness to change and how easy it is for teams to kind of um, play off of that. But they adapted themselves, and you like I think Detroit did that also, right? Like we saw the, both those teams start trapping aggressively. Uh, on pick and roll, something that the Knicks have generally shown under Tibbs, they're not very well prepared for. Um, so, like these teams adjusted their their schemes to provide different challenges. The Knicks did not do that. I mean, yesterday they had fucking Obi playing drop, basically on like like not you know not as deep as Mitch plays, but maybe that's just an Obi thing. But he's effectively like like 
Fredman Lee is killing you, right? He's absolutely torching you coming off these screens, these high pick and rolls, because quickly has to fight over it, and then he's a step behind, and Obi is inside the arc, and he's not Mitchell Robinson, so, you know, and the good version of Mitchell Robinson, not the fat version of Mitchell Robinson we've seen too often this year. Uh, he can't challenge effectively when he's having to also pay attention to the role man and, you know, be the effective rim protector in the defense. So, like, there's no adjustment to that, though. There was no trapping, there was no... Uh, like, there's nothing that we did that was different. We didn't go to a matchup zone. We didn't do anything differently. We just did the things that we do and expected us to do it better with whatever personnel we had available to us. I mean, I, I personally find that ridiculous. Uh, I found it... I mean, forget the defense. You even see it more in offense, right? Like, again, not to, I, I want to go back to it, but, like, you're shorthanded. Todd is the five. OB is the four. You choose to use Obi as a corner floor spacer and have Taj as the role man. Like, I don't get that. I'm sorry. I don't get that. They were, Tibbs was fucking using Knox as a role man more than he did Obi yesterday. That actually happened. It was a real thing that happened. Like, this is not effective coaching. This is not good coaching. And, like, maybe Tibbs is a guy who does better with a limited roster where he it's easier for him to pick guys and have them play specific roles and they buy into it and that's that. Maybe it's easier for him to do that. I don't know. But I have a very, very hard time watching these last two games and feeling like our process in terms of like schematically was good. Well, you've said or in the past. Maximized. Sorry, you can finish your thought. But I do want you to touch on this because I think you said in the past that Tibbs is not the final coach. He's the coach before the coach. So in the context of that, it Definitely interested in what you're saying. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I want to bring this up too because uh, somebody brought this up in our Discord. Justin Deuce McBride, believer, that's his handle on our Discord. Uh, he said this We don't run enough of the offense we're good at. We are 10th in transition points per possession, 23rd in transition frequency, 1st in points per possession off DHOs, 21st in DHO free frequency, 14th in points per possession off of cuts. 29th in cutting frequency. Meanwhile, we're 22nd in scoring off ISOs, 8th in ISO frequency, 29th in post-up points per possession, 18th in post-up frequency. Um, it's very hard for me to disagree with the assertion there. Uh, and yeah, like, I mean, I think that like, we don't do guard-guard pick-and-rolls. Like, why can you not do that? Why can't you have IQ set a screen for Fournier? Fournier is like, you know, as bad as, like, we, I just took a massive dump on him today, but like, Get what were if I were to ask you what percentile he is in scoring on a pick and roll, what do you think it would be? 59. 90th percentile. 40? He's the 90th percentile scoring on a pick and roll. Um, he's not a 90th percentile pick and roll scorer in general, but he's always been a plus pick and roll scorer throughout his career. I think when you st he's also been a very good DHO player in his career, off screen player. We're not doing much of that. Uh, some of that is. You know, him and Randall don't have the best chemistry on that. Randall is sometimes slips the screen too much or gets away. He tries to speed into it too fast. Whatever. There are mitigating circumstances for any of this shit. But when you see things like that, I think that is where the frustration comes from. And it's not just limited to Fournier, right? I think RJ's, I, I think he's been pretty frustrated this year at various times. Um, I think yesterday, I mean, I, did he, did he play a good game yesterday? No, I don't think he played a very good game yesterday. Did I like the things I saw from him 
on a very surface level when he was driving to the rim? Yeah, I did. Uh, I thought he's averaged 16 drives the last two games. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that all of a sudden he's at the line a bunch. Um, that he's managed to score a little bit more efficiently, at least from two. Um, I just, to me, it's like you are running a very stagnant offense. There's not much flow to it. You're not getting a lot of side-to-side action. Guys aren't involved. Like, you're getting maybe, like, two, three guys involved per possession. It doesn't feel like a whole unit ever. Um, There's just a lot of issues to me now, like, watching this offense now with more talent. I don't care what anybody says that, oh, we should assign fucking Lonzo or Doros or whatever. Fine. I have a very hard time believing that if you just signed these guys, that Tibbs would be using them in a max, in, like he would maximize their, like how we're, they're being used. I, I don't think so. But maybe we'd be better off anyway. I think it's easy. Fine. We'd be better off anyway. But like, I still think we are seeing issues that go beyond just the talent at his disposal. I think we're also seeing issues of his ability to maximize, optimize, whatever fucking eyes, uh, the talent we do have. And, it's manifesting both offensively and defensively where I think it's like, dude, like, I, I don't know what you want, but like, you know, Fournier isn't going to do the Bullock stuff. And, and, you know, like to get, here's, here's another thing. We're 10th in transition points per possession. You know, Tibbs, I, I correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't Tibbs say that he wanted us to play faster this year? Yeah. Faster and more right. threes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, what's a way to like, to get your team to play faster, one thing you need to do is probably get them out and you need to be a more aggressive trapping defense and generate turnovers. And we don't do that at all. We're playing the same, and I don't have a problem playing a conservative scheme. I'm just not sure. Something is getting lost here in kind of like stated goals and then our approach to delivering on them. Because I'm just looking at this right now. Uh, Our pace this year, is 95.8. Now, I'm almost positive without looking, that's slower than it was last year. I'm going to look it up right now. This is on Basketball Reference, 95.8 pace. I'm looking up last year's pace. Last year's pace, 95.9. So we're actually just a, a tick below how fast we were playing last year. That makes absolutely no fucking sense with this roster. Are we the most athletic team in the NBA? Absolutely not. But there's no fucking excuse to be playing this slow with this roster. And that we are, at some point, that falls on him. That falls on him. Because we are still fucking terrible at creating turnovers. Uh, We've gotten way worse at clearing the defensive glass. Uh, You know, just terrible at it. Last year we were were 21st in turnover percentage. But we were 8th in defensive rebound percentage. Uh, This year, sorry real quick. Uh, this year we are 18th in defensive rebound percentage and we are all the way down, down, down 25th in turnover percentage. Like this is terrible to watch. And it is, I don't like, you know, I've seen people say, Oh, well, you know, the kids are getting exposed quickly. It's not point guard RJ. Like shut the fuck up. Okay. Like, there's no logical argument that we are optim. Like, what is? Wh- I don't watch this team and think it has any identity. Last year, whatever the fuck we did was not the most talented team. It was not the most beautiful basketball I've ever watched in my life. There was a clear identity. I knew what we wanted to do every night. The team bought into it. Good to go. 
This year, there's no identity. It doesn't look like anybody's on the same page. I mean, you pointed out the defense. Like, I mean, yesterday there was that possession where RJ, Obi, and Fournier are all pointing at each other, trying to figure out whose fucking rotation was. It was probably Obi's, by the way. It was definitely Obi's. But, like, not my point. My point is, there's this happens. How many times does that happen? It happens all the fucking time. And it, it happens, like, how many times does a team just push the ball slightly off of a fucking make and we're not matched up and they get an easy bucket. That happens a couple times a game. Happens a couple times a game. Like, this team is just not together, and I think, ultimately, at some point, at some level, it has to, like, if I'm gonna, I thought Tibbs deserved coach of the year last year. I thought he was awesome last year. I think he's been bad this year. I think he's been a bottom 10 coach at the minimum. Uh, I think he's been bad, flat out. And I, I know it's hard when Randall's playing like shit, I know it's hard when RJ is dealing with up and down issues and for like, yes, there's all, but at some level, if all of these guys are inconsistent and struggling to find a rhythm, that does say something about you also as the coach and your performance. Um, yeah, I mean, kind of on that note, um, you know, yeah, even on the pace thing, it's worth noting that the team's pace doesn't really change with Julius Randle so much, um, off, off or on, uh, which would point to it being more of a Tibbs thing. Um, actually, one player who it seems like it's coincidental with a lot slower pace is Emmanuel quickly. Uh, I don't know if that's more related to his minutes with the starters, but one thing I'll throw back to you is we were, you know, it does seem like the bench plays faster, gets in transition more, um, gets more turnovers, plays a little more aggressive on D that really didn't translate as much as you would like yesterday. Um, is it just the case as a lot of people have contended that the bench is dominance is overblown because they play against start uh, second unit and the starters play against the starters and we're overrating the bench or because um, my, my take has always been the process of the bench is better because they play more through Rose and Obi. Um, but it could be, maybe they're just feasting on opposing second units. I mean, I don't really buy that because we've seen them feast on starters. We've, we've seen like, we've seen them do that in the Milwaukee, Milwaukee twice. They did that twice against the Milwaukee um, this year. Against this fellow uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, you might have heard of him. Heard he's pretty good at basketball. Uh, they also have this Chris Middleton fellow, uh, who's also pretty good, and Drew Holiday, who uh, the streets have told me is a pretty good defensive player. Um, that's just me. I think those guys are all pretty good at basketball. Um, I mean, we've seen them do this against starters. We've seen them do it last year against starters. We've seen them close out multiple games. It's just like this is a bullshit argument. Like, and the arg the dis- I mean, so. Like I just, I guess I just don't understand the logic. So if they're they're so good against the be- like opposing bench units, but so like at that point, but they can't like there's nothing they can do that we should try to start them. Like I'm sorry again. Like I, I hate to go back to this tip shit, but like how the fuck is do starting over Nao quickly? How the fuck is that your like? How is that your decision? And then you fucking probably nuke the kid's confidence. By oh he struggled to start the game yesterday and immediately you pull him for the rest of the game. You know he did the same shit with Frank last year and I brought it up with Frank. I thought it was shitty then and people were like you just love Frank. Frank's soft. Oh, you know he's not going to be good no matter what you do. Um, yeah maybe all that is true about Frank, but guess what? Like I know a lot of the same people love Deuce McBride and we saw him. He did the same. Like you're putting him in a position to fail. Hey kid, go start. Go start. Go start the game. We're shorthanded by the way. Don't have Julius Randall. Don't have Kemba. Don't have like no pressure. Just go start. Like 
I mean, I don't understand that logic. And what makes it even more fucking stupid is his lot. His his explanation was, well, you know, I want to keep as much of the bench together as I can. Uh, he had to. He went to fucking Burks at point four minutes in anyway. And also, Burks at point. We guess it. We saw this. We saw this play out right over a long sample. We saw this for what was it, like ten games or eleven games or whatever the fuck it was. It wasn't good. Pace slowed down. We couldn't get into the office. Offense cratered. Again, this is not like Burks's fault. Uh, but like, I just am struggling. Like, to me, it feels like he's flailing around trying to find solutions and he's just pushing all the wrong buttons this year. Whereas last year, it felt like he pushed the right ones. But this year, it just feels like, like, I mean, if you're Emmanuel quickly, you basically, what you're being told, what, what the inherent message is from your, from your coach is that there's really nothing you can do to start at point because I don't think you're a point guard. That's it. So I'm going to start. Dusik Bride over you, who I would say has flashed. I mean, I, I like it. I like the kid a lot, and I, I'm not too worried about him long term. But like, I didn't see any amazing point guard jobs from him in his two starts. Um, I definitely saw sure shit less. I mean, I think it's also worth noting that he has played his best basketball this year with quickly, right? So I don't know, maybe it's something to consider. Um, you know, I don't. What is it? What message does that send? Like, what does that say to quickly? What does it say to Obi Toppin every single time? No matter how well you play, no matter how well you do, uh, you're going to play maximum 12 minutes when we're Julius Randle's healthy. What does it say to these guys? Like, what does it say to RJ Barrett, you know, when, oh, when everybody's healthy, you're the fourth option? And, like, that's it. Because like, I just need you to buy into this team concept and. The team concept is rigid. We're not going to adjust to team players improving or getting worse or who's in good form and who's in bad form. And no, none of that. How how to attack opponents? No, we're just going to do what we do, and that's it. Like I don't know what message we're sending to these guys. Uh, I, it doesn't seem like a good one. I, I guess is where I'm at it. And and, and I want to say like I think it says a lot about various guys on this team. Like even somebody like Evan Fournier, who I'm not fond of, uh, and at least based on his New York his next tenure so far. But like, I think it says a lot about the character of this team and guys on it, uh, that there hasn't been more stuff leaked out about discontent, uh, in the locker room. The only things we've heard are, we got a report from Begley earlier in the season that there was some concern from people, uh, some, some locker room sources about the offense, which I think we can all understand why that would be. Uh, I also have a pretty good guess who it was. Yeah. yeah, I can guess who it was. Uh, and the other report was that Kemba's benching didn't go well in the locker room, which I don't think that's exactly, you know, that wasn't a, a, a shock. Um, I don't know. Like, do I think he's lost the locker room? No, I don't think he's lost the locker room. But I do think that he is, I, I think he's just pushing all the wrong buttons. And it would not surprise me if a lot, like IQ, IQ and OB especially, those two to me, I, I have a lot of sympathy for them. And I think what they have done, I mean, say what you want about their performance the last couple of games. Like, who was there to save the, the bacon against fucking Detroit when we looked like we were on the verge of an embarrassing loss? Yeah, of course, Alec Brooks played great. Quickly, and Obi were awesome in that game, too. Uh, and they've been awesome all year. Whether you can throw, I don't care about the like. Oh, but it was quickly shooting thirty-seven percent. And uh, shut up. Like if if how we're evaluating guys is just shooting percentage, then nobody on this team has been good. Apparently, even though we've won seventeen games, I, I like to think some people are good. Um, I, I just 
I don't know. I, I it's very like this is probably the most frustrated I've been with Tibbs and like all, since he's got here. I just really struggling to understand the logic of what he's doing schematically with the rotations, how he's starting games, what he's doing in players' absences. I don't know. It's all very weird to me. Yeah, I mean, how much, at least of the last few games, how much of it do you think is a lack of continuity? And, you know, just to, like, at least on defense, a lot of the the miscues, and I think he played really well, and this is really an effort thing, but Quentin Grimes isn't on the same page as the other guys he's playing with because of a lack of reps. It, that's just the reality of it. We, we saw with also Frank. Also because good on defense. That could be it too, right? <laughs> um, and he probably is a more ambitious person at, in terms of making switches or whatever. But he does, he, there's a lot of, he's involved in a lot of the finger pointing stuff. Um, not not to say he's a finger pointer. I mean, like when those breakdowns happen, right? Um, he's not far. Um, Fournier isn't far either, and the difference between the two of them is a lot of the times with Fournier, it's, it's much easier. A, you can draw a direct line of effort, and B, um, you know, he, he shouldn't be making mental mistakes. Um, but I mean, how much of at least the recent struggles do you put on just a lack of continuity, and you know, all the COVID injuries and all of that kind of disrupting the rhythm? So we might the offense might look uncreative or look like they're not running anything well. But it also could be that when they try to run initial actions or when they try to implement these things, the timing is just completely off. I just think so many of the issues are things we've seen all year, though. Like, you know, the defense hasn't been together all year. I mean, look, I, I tweeted this out. We, we What was that game where we just smacked Philly on national TV? Uh, you know. It was Kemba had a good game. It was like one eleven ninety seven, but we were you know we dominated that game from start to finish. But even in that game, as well as we played offensively, I thought the defense was atrocious in the second half of the game. I tweeted it out, and I got a lot of pushback from people like, "Oh, like, yeah, I'm sure Tibbs is so." Because I said something like, "Oh, Tibbs is not going to like the second half of this." Like watching the the tape on the second half of this game defensively, you got a lot of pushback on that. And you know, look, I. I hate being miserable about the Knicks. I fucking love being a homer. I love uh, when the Knicks are good and I can just talk shit and fucking gas everybody up and pretend that the Knicks are the greatest franchise in the history of basketball and everything is great and wonderful. Like It hasn't been like that all year. And so I just struggle to think it yeah it's just covid it's you know the lack of continuity i mean these are things we've seen all year you know and you know people like i didn't actually think the offense was i thought it was stagnant yesterday it had a lot of the same issues but like i mean i didn't watch that game and think like well man if we had julius everything would change here like no like we would be the same fucking thing we'd be stagnant be the same shit i actually thought against okc like in a lot of ways the process was good because we just got rj the ball a shit ton and he created a lot i mean another game he could have you know he might have had like fucking eight assists or something who knows but um i just i don't know i I feel like that's just an easy way to to like explain away what we've seen uh and i know you're not trying to do that i just like i struggle with it I, i just i struggle with what i'm seeing this year because i just think it's like it's it doesn't feel like it's getting better, you know. Like it it always like I mean 
we had the worst three game winning streak I think I've ever watched in my life. You know, it was what I don't even remember the first who the fuck we, I don't even remember who the first game of that winning streak was, but it was like and then we played Skeleton Squad Minnesota and Detroit, and it felt like you know I don't even know it was barely oh wait, we played the, we beat the Hawks Skeleton Crew kind of Skeleton Crew then we you know played I mean, Minnesota no trade and, basically makes them a Skeleton Crew right yeah, so right and it's like. I mean, I didn't come away. I thought the, the Atlanta game was actually really positive in some ways, but like the Detroit and Minnesota ones, like yeah, look, I think winning is hard in this, in the league. Um, I think sometimes, it, no matter what we want to say, it is hard to get up for G League dudes, basically, and that you have no idea who they are. But I mean, it wasn't just about effort in those games, right? I mean, it was also like that Detroit game. We just looked clueless. Like it looked like the starters had no fucking idea what was going on. I mean, in that sense, you could argue the starters look better yesterday because they have had an idea of what's going on. Like, is that an improvement? I don't know. Um, I just, I, I really struggle with what I've seen this year and, and trying to to explain away some of it. I mean, I don't think it's, you can't be halfway through the season and we're talking about continuity issues. I think it goes beyond that because, you know, look, the a lot of teams have had COVID-related absences. and They've gotten performances out of players and and come through it and you know um like i I don't again i don't care that they lost these last two games it's more about how they lost i I just have not liked the process um and i have not felt like tibbs has shown much adaptability this year uh and you know in some ways the last two games just really drove it home yeah and i guess from a process standpoint right what are the top two or three changes Playoffs or not, right? Let's. I mean, we, we're probably beyond the the point where we should be resulting, um, given that if they don't make the playoffs this year, it doesn't have to be a disaster. But what are like you know, if there's two or three process changes you really want to see, um, you know, what what are the top for you? I think you've touched on a few, but I think it'd be good to get a high level summary here. Oh uh, wait, sorry. So it's say that again. Like it's well, yeah. So like just, you said that the process is more disturbing than the results, or the fact that you know the you know the process of how they played the last few games is more disturbing than anything else. Right? I, I think I would agree with that. What, whether it's stylistic or rotation, like what are the top two or three process uh, changes or things you'd want to see from the next process to, from now to the end of the season? Um, I. I would like to see them move one of Burks or Fournier. That that just has to happen, I think. I don't think there's any way around that. Um, one of those guys has to go. They have to open up minutes for Grimes. He's ready for the NBA. He's ready to play rotation minutes. He just has to play. like he For so many reasons, his energy, his athleticism, his willingness to work defensively, his quick trigger on offense, his willingness to keep the ball moving, make quick decisions. Uh, it's not always going to be pretty. But I'm willing to take those lumps because I don't really think he's taking much off the table that one of those, especially Fournier this year, um, is providing so much of. So if we can trade Fournier, I'm all for it. Uh, but one of those guys has to go because... I mean, he does he take away... Like, up Burks, Burks gives you shot creation that Grimes doesn't. Yeah. I, I agree that I'd rather just give Grimes minutes, but that's something he takes off the table relative to one of them. So Yeah, and I think that's... But like, you know what? That's if that's what you have to do to force like if we're gonna be in a situation where we have to force Tibbs into like giving more shot creation reps to guys like RJ 
and quickly and even Obi, uh, like, like then that's just what we have to do because the silver lining of the season is not going to be the vets. It's just not, I'm sorry. It's not happening. Uh, so I think one of those guys has to move. I would also like to see them, uh, consolidate. I think that they have too many guys. I know it sounds ridiculous because the team is 17 and 20, but I think they have guys that are, would be useful on other rosters. Um, who aren't don't have clear pathways to a lot of playing time here. I think they need to make a consolidation trade in some capacity. I would prefer that it doesn't involve core young pieces, which to me at this point are RJ quickly, OB, and Grimes. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting somebody. RJ, OB, quickly, and Grimes. Um, McBride. Yeah. I, I guess. I don't consider him a core guy. Yet. Yeah, that would be uh, who people would suggest that you're forgetting. That's what I'm saying. I yeah, I disagree, yeah. but I think it's a fair opinion. Um, and yeah, like I, I think that just needs to happen. I also think it's imperative. I don't care who it is. I don't care if he sucks at it. I don't care what it is. They have to get a stretch five on this roster. They have to get a stretch five on this roster because I just cannot watch anymore of us using all of our centers in the exact same way. Like I am, I'm, I was for that last year specifically because I thought it was important to establish like, these are our principles. This is how we want to play. That's all well and good, but this is why I didn't want to bring Noel back last year. I, I didn't want to bring Noel back because I don't think we needed that. I think we needed to find a more stretch five option. Uh, look, I, I brought this up. Uh, you know, we've talked about it. We've joked about it a bunch, but like, that's why I thought Tory Craig should have been somebody they went after in free agency. Um, not because he himself is necessarily a great stretch five, but like I think he is a good enough four that you can Obi get a can you would, Yeah, Obi can play the five or Randall can play the five or whatever. You're you're giving yourself options. I think we need to do something like that. I don't care who it is, it just needs to happen. We need to have the ability to play small in the front court at times. I mean you need to do that in a way, I guess, whatever if Tibbs is comfortable with it. Uh, I think Obi has to play at least 20 minutes a game. I don't care how it happens. I don't care whose minutes get reduced. It He has to play at least 20 minutes a game. He's playing way too well, at least 20 minutes a game. He's playing way too well. He offers a diversity of skills that we lack across the roster in terms of his playmaking, quick decision-making, athleticism, getting out on the open floor, a variety of things. Also, easily the best finisher on the team, like by far, not even close. Um and I also would like us to, I know broadly it's easy to say play more young guys, uh, but very specifically, I want to see more on-ball reps for RJ and IQ. And I would like to see some type of off-ball play action movement stuff going on. Because to me, everything that we do is on-ball, and the only time we have something off-ball going on is like a play that's directly designed from the start for an off ball, like, like floppy. That's it. Like, I don't see us running. It's not like we have something awesome going on on the strong side. And then on the weak side, you know, there's all this other eye candy going on. It's just bad. So those are the broad things I would like to see. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think that that could necessitate a shakeup on the roster. Some of the guys I think you would probably have to move to make that happen would be Nerlens Noel. Um, as you, to your point, one of Burks or Fournier. Um, and, um, you know, because 
for example, to the stretch five point, the Knicks do have someone on the roster who's 6'10", 230. Um, I don't know what he's shooting from. He's shooting 41.5% from three in the G League on six attempts per game, right? Is it Sims? Uh, no, it's Samanich. Um, oh, Samanich, okay. I think he's hurt though right now, isn't he? He is hurt, but they have options like that, right? I mean, I, you look at what you want to do, like how we we would want to play. Um, the Knicks have so the Knicks have three guys I think could, that could step into the point guard role permanently, right? And also both are all three are big enough to guard two positions um, in Rokas, McBride, and uh, and quickly. You have RJ and Grimes who can your wings, right? You have Obi as, as a stretch four with energy. Then you have Lucas Samanich, right? And um, as you get bigger, paradoxically, it seems like the Knicks get worse on defense. So our best defenders are the wings and the uh, and the guards, but they all defend really well. So if you want to construct something like what the Bulls have done philosophically, they don't obviously have the shot creators that the Bulls have. That, there is the in place to do that with the young players. The problem is if we keep playing a more backward style, um, you can't give that a chance to flourish, right? But given that, do you think there is a point where the front office says, no, we want to start playing like that, and we're just going to have to start making a lot of moves to, to force Tibbs' hand? And, and if they do that, do you think that it causes tension or Tibbs just doesn't buy in or whatever? Um, I mean, I'll throw this back to you. What have we seen to make us think that Tibbs would be willing to be flexible about this stuff. Not a lot, but I mean, how much of this, of the Knicks playing slow or of the Knicks um, not, I mean, I think he has tried to make defensive changes. It was very weird to see Obi in drop because one of the things I really liked that Tibbs did last year was had him blitz. That's part of the reason he didn't play him a ton of minutes, but he had him blitz. He had him be aggressive. He used him more as a missile than, you know, it's like certain linebackers in the NFL, right? Like there are certain linebackers who, you want getting downhill, blitzing, and not having to think too much. But then there are other linebackers who are more cerebral, who you who are more versatile in those kind of things, right? Who can do the read and react stuff. Uh, Obi is definitely the, the former, and, and his footwork is more of a limiting factor than any mental shortcomings. I think he's actually pretty good at processing. But, um, but how much of it is Tibbs, like the stylistic problems? Like, do you think he's telling them, slow the ball down? And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you you hear it. You hear him fucking calling out plays as soon as they get a rebound. He starts barking out exactly what he wants them to do, and most of the time it ends up in somebody's. It's usually like Burks pick and roll ISO, Julius post up. You know, it's not like some awesome diagram set where we're generating some high quality corner three or something. It's very very basic stuff. Uh, and I, I again, like I actually don't hate that necessarily. Like again, I don't necessarily hate stuff like this like i don't care like i, I know pe- people's like always people always have this criticism of coaches like late in games where it's like why would we just go to iso i know me and you have argued about this before i don't hate that i think it's a reasonable thing it's like running out the clock offensively in a football game that's what it is it's a, it's the same principle you guarantee yourself a shot so you're limiting turnovers effectively uh in theory anyway obviously we assume with julius that's not always the case uh but like you're guaranteeing yourself a shot. Theoretically, your team should be in position to get back in transition defense if needed, and no turnovers. This is like a very, very easy, and you can milk the clock down. So you're getting it down 20 seconds each time. But like, we do that all the time. We do it 
all the time. Uh, way too early in games. I mean, how many times we've we blown games uh, this year, blown leads because we start going into ISO mode in the first fucking half, you know? And at some point, it's not just like, at some point, if it's always happening, even if it's the players that are one that are always doing it, isn't it on the coach to like hold them accountable for it and change that and direct them differently and get them to do something different? At some, like, we're 37 games in the season. All of the things that are happening at some point, in some way, directly or indirectly, are on tips. They're a reflection of what he's getting us to do. Um, I personally find it ridiculous that, like, you've got the fucking Bulls playing, like, Javante Green at the four. You know? Like, we are the only team, I'm not joking, I really think we're the only team in the NBA with this absurd rigidity to everything we do. It's like, we got to have a rim protector at the five at all times. We got to play big. We have to like, we have to run a, like we have to run a high pick and roll with a penetrating guard. And even if we don't have a penetrating guard, we're going to run it anyway, because that's what we do. And it's like, we got to play drop coverage. We can't, you know, we can't trap. We can't do anything. We're not going to like, it's all just very, very rigid and exactly how it's supposed to be. And I mean, look, these are some of the criticisms people had of Tibbs prior to getting the job. So it's not like out of the blue, but to me, it's, it's like, he's gone. He's leaned into it so hard this year, way more than last year. I mean, I thought last year he actually showed himself to be a bit adaptable, um, specifically, uh, with how he rotated the perimeter guys minutes one to three. I also thought, I mean, there was also a, attention to detail in terms of specifically the execution of defensive game plans. Uh, I thought that was excellent last year and neither of those things is coming to fruition this year. I mean, I can't get over the OKC game a couple of days ago. Like IQ and OB didn't play any minutes together until garbage time in the fourth quarter. That is fucking bananas, man. That is so ridiculous. It is so absurd that this is like the fourth fucking coach we've had in a row who doesn't seem to prioritize in any capacity getting like core young players minutes together. IQ, RJ, Obi. This is a perfect time to do it the last few games. Like yesterday, he pulled RJ from the game after he made a couple threes because he had a stupid turnover. Yeah, it was a stupid turnover. Maybe he was even fucking lazy. He was even fucking lazy. He just made a couple threes. He's actually getting into an offensive rhythm. Just leave him in the fucking game. Let him feel good about himself. Let him get some shots up. Like he wouldn't pull. He wouldn't pull fucking Randall from the game. There, he wouldn't pull like Rose from the game. He wouldn't. Just let him fucking play through it. I, you know, I just, I just really struggle with how Tibbs is managing any everything this year. I just think it's so piss poor across the board. It's like, you know, I, I don't know. It's very, very frustrating. And I will say, like, I have a really hard time believing that if you gave Johnny Bryant, assistant coach Johnny Bryant, truth serum, uh, that he would tell you this is he's fine with every all everything about what we're doing. I have a very hard time believing. I mean, would you say that any coach? I mean, you said that about Nick's nurse assistants, right? Uh, I mean, do you think Johnny Bryant has more of an issue with what the head coach is doing than other head assistants across the league? I think is the better question. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I just, I mean, Nick Nurse, great example, watching them yesterday, right? I don't think, though, I, I still, I really don't think the Raptors, yes, they were more talented yesterday because they had 
band. They're full team, basically, right? So yeah, of course they're more talented than than us shorthanded. But like we played them two games before this, where we actually had our team, I think for the most part, and they were out a couple guys, and they've beaten us. And it's not because they had more talent; it's because Nick Nurse is willing to try shit, and he's willing to adapt, and he's willing to be an in-game schemer to an extent. Um, you know, and it's not like Fizdale level just trying shit to try shit. It's it's trying shit to give to see what you have at your disposal, and some of that is. Just letting Precious Chua do shit. Like, Precious Chua, go look up his stats. He's not fucking, you know, doing anything spectacular. He's actually been kind of bad. But, like, he doesn't destroy them when he's on the court. So, Nick Nurse is willing to, like, give him time on the court. And he has his own bullshit, too, you know? We've seen him be kind of a boomer at various times. But, like, he's a lot more flexible. And he's a lot more willing to live with mistakes in some degree, to some degree. And Tibbs just, fe- like, it feels like he has no capacity to live with the mistakes of young players, uh, specifically if they're handed responsibility to create offense. That's really the big thing for me. Like, if he gives them responsibility to create offense, he seems to get really, really frustrated when they don't have immediate results. And then he goes to Burks, or he goes to Rose, or he goes to Iso Randall, or he go- whatever he goes to. He goes to something. Um, I think this whole season, I mean, we had Seth on, and he was talking about... How I mean, we were talking about this too, right? The Knicks, the beginning of the season, they seem to stick to the offseason plan. More pace, more threes, more ball movement. And then there are a couple games where they shot 40, 50 threes and lost or had defend, or, you know, disappointing results. Uh, now, I guess that still hasn't changed because the Knicks are winning the shot quality battle. I think every time uh, that dude posts, like, who won the shot quality battle, <laughs> the Knicks win it. Sorry. And by the way, the Knicks are still seventh in three point attempt rate, so they they did stick to that so far, um, right? So, um, but it does you, it is fair to wonder has Tibbs kind of lost trust faith in that, right? I think there's been times where they shoot poorly in the first quarter and then they go away with it, uh, and maybe that's a standard thing where a coach is going to be like stop settling for threes. Um, you know that is that is kind of I don't want to call it a boomer thing, but from when you're a young age, like you're told right go to the hoop that there's a certain merit or moral thing that's associated with going to the rim instead of jacking up jump shots. But, you know, it can be tough to, to understand when am I jacking up jump shots and when am I making the right play as opposed to forcing the ball in against the rim because uh, going to the rim isn't always the best decision. I think Toronto is one team, for example, against whom it can be kind of difficult to do that because, and this is why Toronto gives us a ton of problems, right? But it's even been exaggerated this year. But you look across their front line. They're able to play OG at the at the 5. And maybe this is a roster thing, right? They're able to play OG at the 5 because they have Pascal Siakam, who's 6'9", Scotty Barnes, who's 6'10", um, to, to play next to him, right? So they have a massive front court. They can throw in Chris Boucher, who always seems to hurt the Knicks. Precious is in that mold. Um so, I, I mean, I think part of it with Toronto is that they just have that style, which seems to give the Knicks trouble. Um, and if there is kind of a glaring weakness on this roster, it's that Tibbs hasn't found his uh, kind of Luol Deng, right, who's the, just freakishly long wing, who can give you that versatility. Because I do think Tibbs would be more flexible if he could. But, um, but he, I mean, he was in Chicago, I feel like. Don't you don't you feel like that's the case? I mean, he, he moved to Deng around like a chess piece, um, he went small with Taj, I believe, at times, even back then. Um, 
you know, he was willing to play Nate Robinson at the one. I think your point on, on the young players and the kind of, um, you know, the no leeway they get um, if they're on ball. Um, though I, I'll say, I think he actually has trusted quickly a little bit more. Um, like quickly is allowed to play through mistakes um, more than someone like Obi. But, um, but those are some kind of my thoughts on that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think... I think maybe he was flexible for that time in Chicago. It was a less flexible era. Um, and maybe he's just not. I mean, th- what makes it very frustrating is he, when he talks, he always, he clearly understands this stuff. That's what is even more mind boggling about it. He always talks about how teams, like, you know, oh, there's more teams now that have stretch fives and go five out and stuff like that. And, you know, some of that might be pointed remarks to, the front office, like, hey, get me a fucking stretch five then. If you want me to play five out, give me a stretch five. Um, and that is one thing like, Kobe doesn't give you yet, right? It's not like he's a very good shooter anyway. No, he doesn't, but I think, like, I think you can play... Okay, let's say his defender is just sitting off him, right? And you, you're playing him and Randall together. I mean, you can then use that to get wide open threes for somebody else. Yeah, you can like, screen with him. You can yeah. you can have him also face up a little bit more. You know, also, if he's on a five, um, he should. I mean, he should get more transition opportunities, right? So, yeah, I mean, I so like I I, I don't know. I mean, if you want to like, if there is a reason for Obi not like that hasn't hasn't played more, I think you saw it yesterday. He's just not a. He needs to get not just stronger. He needs to be more of a menace on the glass. Like he needs to just go up and get that shit sometimes. Oh, Wally again, I can't believe I'm like praising Wally again on the pod. Uh, I thought Wally made a good point yesterday of like, Hey, look like boxing out is all great, but like sometimes you just need to go get the fucking ball. Um, and we've seen that a lot actually across the board with this team of like boxing out and then nobody just goes to get the ball. But like, I thought there, you saw that a bunch with him yesterday. Um, I, I, like, I just, I don't know what, like yeah, I I hear you know all the stuff with Tibbs is he it's not been an easy year for sure uh, as a coach for him you know there's been a lot of shit with this team that I think has been hard to to get through but like you know this team struggles so much to score inside the arc and but he does fucking absolutely nothing to to make it easy like nothing he does is makes it easy you always play a five who is basically nothing more than a play finisher that has no ability to create with the ball in his hands that doesn't have a like that doesn't that can't just punish punish mismatches in the post but like and and there's no willingness to experiment or adapt or try things except when he absolutely has to at the end of a game and we just need to generate offense somehow or we're desperate for something like then he'll maybe try, you know, we've seen him try RJ at the four. We've seen him try Randall and Obi together at the four or five in those instances. But like, like why is it that you will only try this shit in like the highest leverage situations? So like, I mean, that's such an absurd amount of pressure to put on these guys. Oh yeah. We never tried this, but Hey, no pressure. Just go out and execute in the fourth quarter down the stretch right now. You know, I, that stuff is just bananas to me. And he's just, there's just no effort being made to like, you know, look, like the Knicks are, uh, let's see. The Knicks are shooting right now from two this year. They're shooting under 50% as a team, 49, 49.4%. That ranks 27th in the NBA. 27th. All right. 
guess where the, from three they're shooting they're they're shooting seventh in attempt rate, and they are eleventh in three point percentage collectively. So like yeah, I mean the ups and downs are there, and sure there's always room for improvement, but like they've been a pretty decent shooting team both in terms of volume and efficiency from beyond three. If you're still struggling to finish at the rim, yes, some of that uh, some of that is about personnel, but like. Don't you think, I mean, you watch the Knicks all the time. Don't you think some of that is also just because there's always somebody just waiting at the rim because they don't have to honor our fives at all? Yeah, it can definitely be both. Um, I mean, they also, part of it is also just you need to be able to attack the five, um, which there's really only two players in the roster who can do that from the perimeter on a consistent basis um, with RJ maybe a 2A. But it's really just Kemba and Rose. And even Kemba is, ideally, that's not even the best thing that he's good at. Um, I mean, I think that is part of the reason McBride started yesterday is because he's shown a little bit, like quickly still picks up his dribble too often in the paint. Um, McBride has shown a little bit more comfort and sturdiness there. Um, it quickly, I think is better. I tend to agree with you, but that was, but for example, like that's just why I wasn't like a lot of people were losing their shit. It's annoying that it seems that, you know, for like the, just the feeling of like, you know, he's a starting point guard and Tibbs is just determined come hell or high water to not make that happen. But I, like from a schematic standpoint, I didn't hate that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that if they did have more downhill guys or if they had, if their young players were better at getting to the rim um, and, and finishing, that would look a lot better. Um, just out of curiosity, do you know like how much of that is driven by not being able to finish and how much of it is driven by settling for twos? It would probably be the same problem but i am curious about that i can look it up in terms of the lack of efficiency from two yeah and the two yeah uh i mean i think some of that is personnel but i mean look we're also i mean here's a fundamental reality the knicks have shot horribly from mid-range this year like absolutely terrible um they're 22nd from 10 to 16 feet they're shooting 39.1 percent and they're shooting they are 29th from long two, which is 32.8%. These are not a huge volume of their shots, uh, but that's really bad. And those are areas they were probably good in last year. I can check it in a second um, because Randall played well. They're also terrible from floater range this year. Uh, so from three to 10 feet, 39.1%. So like they're basically not getting any good offense inside the arc from any zone, from nowhere. It's like their only good offense is from three. Um some of that, it definitely is about the roster you've built. You know, there's no question about that. But, like, you know, you should be benefiting from spacing. And if you're not benefiting from spacing, I, I think, yes, you can say it's about personnel and all kinds of things. But, like, it has to go beyond that at a certain point, to me, anyway. Um, I don't know. I, I just... It's just very, very difficult to to not get over that. Um, just for comparison, last year, uh, uh, from ten to sixteen feet, uh, next still were not very good, but they were forty point seven percent from ten to sixteen feet. Uh, from long to sixteen, that sixteen feet to the three point line, they were fifteenth in the NBA, forty one point one percent. They were also terrible from three to ten feet last year, so not a huge difference. Uh, but I, but last year they did shoot a much higher clip from thirty. Uh, and I know the league in general has shot worse from three, but like they shot 39.2% from three last year, uh, albeit on a much lower volume, but 39.2% to 35.6 is a pretty big drop off. Uh, they shot the same at the rim. 
sixty-three point seven percent. They're at sixty-four percent. Did uh, I think they got there about the same. Looks like it. Uh, actually, we got there a little less last year. So, yeah, there's that. So, like, you know, I, here's I, I actually have a theory. Or not a theory, but I have a thought. Uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this because I think we've seen this play out with Randall a bit too where, like, we've seen him get open mid-range shots and he's, like, almost confused and then he just kind of dribbles into a turnover or does something stupid or whatever. Um, I wonder if there's some focus on Mori balling the offense that is getting into guys' heads. Curious to get your thoughts on that. Um, so you mean that they're trying to force the threes and or trying to force free throw attempts? No, I think they're like I just like there's such a focus on threes and shots at the rim that maybe we're not act like maybe that's also part of the issue where it's like you're not just taking the good shit, like the, the shots that are available. You're trying to force it. Um, this year, by the way, we're 11th in shots at the rim, 0.25% or 25% rather. Uh, so basically around the same as last year. So we're taking a lot of shots from three and a lot of shots at the rim and the offense still stagnating. That's what you're saying. And then they're because partly because they're shooting God awful from mid range. So is your assertion maybe that they're forcing a lot of rim attempts where they, a mid range shot would be, the better option because I, I guess that just doesn't match the eye test for me. I mean, I guess it's more like maybe like because there's ways to be creative, like you know, Houston obviously is always the prime example, but like there's ways to be creative, even if everybody understands your end goal is you want to prioritize shots at, from three and at the rim, right? Because ultimately, like that's what every team really wants to do, but like there's ways to be creative about going about it. I feel like because of the lack of offensive creativity, that focus is maybe like overcomplicating things for players. I don't know. Like I just watch Randall especially and it feels like I'm watching a guy who knows that he's supposed to take less mid-range shots sometimes and then ends up like overthinking it and, you know, not taking a good shot and resetting the offense or something like that, or forcing up some bullshit at the rim or from three or whatever it is. Yeah, I guess I don't really agree with that. Um, I think the bigger problem I've had with Randall is passing up wide open threes to like post up or like kind of, you know, that ends up turning into a mid range shot. Um, the numbers certainly bear out that he's shooting more from three and taking more shots at the rim, but I haven't hated their three point sh- selection, shot selection. Um, I haven't either. And I mean, if, what I have hated, I guess, if there's one thing I would point out, it's that you still have a lot of the possessions where they overpass and pump fake too many times. Um, it happened a bunch yesterday. Yeah, that stuff drives me crazy um, because most of them can't shoot. Um, that's something Grimes gives you because the release is so quick that you know, he doesn't really get forced to pump fake a lot. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think it's more, um, it, it's, I, I don't think it's so much that. I think it's probably understanding that um, it, it's probably a, an over-reliance on one-on-one and a lack of motion from where those shots are coming from. That's the bigger issue. Cause if I'm, I, have, I don't know what the stats are in percent assisted, but I would imagine they're pretty low there. So they they're, have the shot profile of a modern offense, but oftentimes the process is still lacking. And, you know, as many would uh, for say... For what it's worth, Mitch, uh, Mitch has cleared health and safety protocols. Good for him. Glad to hear he's healthy. Um, 
I obviously will also love to get him back. You know, they clearly missed, you know, this was the, as, as I mentioned before, the Raptors were not an ideal team to go against when you're lacking length. Um, yeah, Mitch would have helped in that game. Um, Maybe. Theoretically. Apparently last year, <laughs> Mitch, I, I, I thought he was picking it up this, that, before he got sick. Um, of late, I think he's trended up. He's obviously had a couple of piss poor performances as well. And and again, um, the opposition has helped also. But yeah, he was playing. It looked athletically, he looked much better. Yeah. So if you look at percent of threes assisted, the Knicks are fifth from the bottom, right? So they're only se- only seventy seven percent of their threes are assisted, um, whereas the Spurs, unsurprisingly, lead the league with ninety two percent of their threes being assisted. And then if you look at two point assisted, my guess would be that would be worse, but I could be wrong. Um, yeah, the Knicks are only getting, of their twos, only about 45% are assisted. Um, the Golden Knicks are State, 26th. They're 26th in assisted twos. What I'm saying is they have, they take the most, they're taking the most um, unassisted twos, fifth most unassisted twos. The point is, the point of the matter is, even though if they're taking a more Mori Ball type lineup, they are doing it very in a in a much more. It doesn't even have to be ISO, right? But they're just they're not generating the easy looks that teams like San Antonio State, San Antonio and Golden State are doing. Um, they are. You say San Antonio State. Yeah, this Friday Night Lights. Are you have been watching Friday Night Lights lately? Tim Riggins. No, it's because I saw SAS <laughs> and like because I guess because I was watching bowl games. SAS would mean San Antonio State, right? Um, no, so so the, it, it's not this and. There are teams that have still made that work, including Daryl Morey's Rockets, but they had, um, at, throughout his career there, one really good <laughs> shot creator, and then, yeah, two at one point, right? So uh, that's, whereas we have, we're, again, that comes down to we're asking Randall to be that, uh, and, and you know, obviously that's not what he is. So I think that to answer your question, um, yeah, maybe it is, maybe it's a little bit of Morey ball and not enough focus on, like, the teams that really made popularized the three and rim movement, right? Phoenix and Golden State also relied heavily on pace and ball movement, which the Knicks are just haven't really improved as much as you would like. Yeah, I mean, like, the main, the biggest movement we get in the half court is, like, running that bullshit three-man weave thing. Like, yeah. that's it. You know, that, well, that's one, a big one thing. thing that, one thing that I really like, like, even we, you know, like, are not all post-ups are the same either, right? Like, yeah. they had, a, I think, RJ set up. RJ post-ups yesterday were good. RJ had a couple of good post-ups, and then he there was a play a couple of games ago where he set a cross screen for for Randall early in the shot clock. The entry pass wasn't great, but it got the ball to Randall within ten feet. Like no one is suggesting that he shouldn't ISO from there, right? Uh, it's when he posts up from twenty feet, right? Um, or it's when you know you know no one is suggesting that Burks or IQ shouldn't pull up, but when we run a set with ten seconds left and they have to pull up from three. Now, you can say a pull-up three from a guy like that opens up other things. It forces their pick-and-roll coverage to get more aggressive. But if you're not really playing off of that, if you're not generating uh, movement and those kind of things off of it, it's, yeah, you're not really modern in, in that sense. You're not getting the full benefit of that pace and space offense. Yeah, I mean, it's... Look, the, the Knicks have been terrible. Uh, but they're 28th in the league in assists per 100 possessions. Um which obviously adjusts for pace. So like they're literally the 28th worst passing team in the NBA. That doesn't necessarily mean you just suck at, at offense. Um, Utah, for example, is 24th. So, and they have one of the best offenses in the NBA. Um, like you can get around assists, but you need, I, I still think like there's an element of movement uh, that exists within Utah's offense 
that does not in ours, for example. So like, you know, again, and, and just to be clear, again, here are some other teams like Toronto, who we played against yesterday, who I think everybody would say is a very well-coached team. They're 26th in uh, assists per 100 possessions at 22.4. So like, they're pretty much in the same boat as we are. Um, and again, some of well, assists is also just game is part of it, right? But like, yeah, go ahead. Right, and, and some some of assists are also just making shots. Yeah, if you make more shots, you'll get more assists. Um, but like, yeah, I I I tend to agree that it's like we we decided like we need to update our output, right? Like, okay, look, we need to shoot more threes and we need to take more shots at the rim. We need to create more efficient offense, the higher value shots. That is all well and good and i think that's well-intentioned and i think like i don't no front office shoots 100 percent, right like they're, they're gonna miss so in the grand scheme of things what they did this offseason it was a miss but i don't i mean i'll i'll give them you know i i called the fournier contract a dud yesterday i i stand by that and he it's up to him to change it but like right now it looks like a bad not a bad so yeah, it's a bad deal. Whatever. I don't want to... Next year, it'll be tradable. So, like, everyone keeps... Yeah. I, I'm kind of annoyed at seeing this 74 million, 74 million. I, I mean, at this point, they're not going to... They're probably going to trade him next season if this continues. And it'll probably be... They'll probably get a reasonable return on it, right? That'll be a pretty good contract for teams. Next yeah, year, it's, it's, a, it's a good salary fill of number is basically where I'm at with it. Um, but, like, whatever they did this offseason, it was good intentions has not panned out the way they that that they I'm sure that they hoped. Um I also think it's telling that like they didn't exactly make huge long-term commitments to anybody, so I think they came into it with clear eyes, full hearts. Um <laughs> but like they did lose, so <laughs> yeah. But but it's it's obvious that in addition to valuing um the output of we want to shoot more threes and take more shots at the rim and we need to have guys who can dribble pass and shoot who are more diverse that they also probably one undervalued uh some of the defensive drop off myself included um and maybe they expected tibbs would be able to adjust more i don't know uh and i think the other thing that they did is they probably did not value the basic idea of like Yes, Fournier can dribble, pass, and shoot. Kemba can dribble, pass, and shoot. Are they quick with their decisions? Are they are they guys that you would describe as intuitive passers or dudes that keep the, the ball moving side to side and keep it popping around? No, they're not. And I do think that, like, I don't agree with the idea that they don't value that because I think the guys that they've picked in the draft show that they do understand you need some of that. but as an overall roster construction, you know, what they put together, they don't have enough of it. They don't have enough of it. And, um, I also would say to some degree, Tibbs as a coach doesn't value it enough. So that's another issue. Um, and yeah, because I, you I know, feel like I've seen, I've seen certainly Fournier exhibit that at different points in his career, right? More of a connecting mindset. Um, I actually think Kemba's pretty good. I think at playing fast, um, so that's what leads me to believe it's more of a tips thing and less of a roster thing. Um, I also think quickly has flashed that ability, even though sometimes he's guilty of slowing the offense down. Um, 
And so I think that they do want to move towards that. And I wonder how much there's a clash between what the front office wants to do and what Tom Thibodeau is doing. Yeah, I mean, I definitely wonder that also. Um, I just, it's it's really hard to know because obviously, you know, we, we're not, we're not in the building, so we have no clue. But like, it, I, I, you know, everything leads me to believe that they never viewed this roster as like close to the end point of what they want it to be. Uh, I would assume that they, I mean, I would guess internally they're not happy about Obi's minutes. I, I think that's probably fair to say because look, he was the eighth overall pick. He was the first lottery pick for Leon, the highest pick they've had. He's definitely made a step up this year, and his minutes have showed no progress. I mean, he might even be playing less. I don't know. I have to check. Yesterday helped, obviously, playing 45 minutes. Um, I, I'm i sure they're not happy about that. I'm sure that they would like to see more of Grimes. Um, you know, I, I would guess World Wide West, the guy who apparently took his shirt off and was pounding the table for Emmanuel quickly, uh, would like to see quickly get more opportunities. Um, I don't know how all of these things are weighed in the front office and internally as an organization, but the fact that the team's vibes just seem so off leads me to believe there's unrest at various places in the organization, from the players to the coaching staff to the front office. I don't think that me like I don't think it's like a dysfunction thing. I think it's more of like a do you are you guys connecting on the best way to use these players you've brought together. Uh, and yeah, but, but, because you mentioned kind of some of the players they'd want to see more prior, prioritized, but like, I think in terms of the product and the court and the process and the style of play um, and things that are prioritized, uh, do you think there is like a cohesive vision from the front office there? And what is that? Um, so... This is actually somebody who was, we were talking about this in the Discord yesterday. I think that they are aware that they need to find a primary ball handler, creator, whatever. I don't think they're any under any illusion that Randall is that guy or that they didn't need to address that. I think they didn't like the options available to them in free agency last offseason. And to be quite frank, they maybe just didn't have the option at guys like Chris Paul or Kyle Lowry. You know, fair enough. So I think they took the the chance on Kemba. Uh, we'll see how that works out. Um, your your point is about um, like a connector person, right? Do you think that they would have taken a shot at Lonzo, um, given that he gives you that, or do you think that it's it's a misconception to think that Lonzo would have brought that or improved that for the Knicks? I mean, it's hard to say Lonzo would have improved that for the Knicks based on what we've seen this year. I also feel like Tibbs would hate a player like I don't, I don't think he'd be even understand how to use a player like Lonzo he'd be like what do you mean you're not shooting when you get the ball like I need you to score like I saw on that guy like no I mean we saw it with Frank last year right Frank's not as good as Lonzo but like he had no concept of how to like use a connecting piece um conceptually uh and you know whatever I don't want to get into the whole Frank thing but um yeah I, I don't know about the Lonzo piece of it but like I my this is my guess. I'm just guessing here. Um, I, I think that they 
are fully aware that they don't have the the primary creator or guy that to really unlock the offense. Because what I do think they have done is they have in the draft, especially they have brought in a lot of guys who at the, if nothing else are the type of players who profile to fit well next to, or alongside a primary creator um, of all sizes, be it a guard, a wing, whatever. Um, they have brought in players like that. I mean, you see Toppin, you see Quickly, you see Deuce, you see Grimes, even. And and I think they took a shot on somebody they thought maybe has primary upside in Rokas, uh, Jokovitis, which, you know, we'll see how that works out. He looks good in Spain, but, you know. I mean, yeah. I think he has, like, Goran You hate to, that's a kind of a lazy comparison, but it's more upside in the Goran Dragic, even Jalen Brunson range, um, which is still which, a really which good player. Fair, like, that's a really good player. I mean, Goran Dragic like, at when... his best might be good enough. Like, not not to be the best player on a title team or something like that, but like he might he's probably good enough to be to run the... your offense through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and, and I think that's okay. Like Jimmy is your closer right next to him, um, but that's yeah, the, like that. but like kind of it's not primary by committee quite, but like it's separating kind of in the way it used to be in quote unquote the old days, right, where you would separate the duties of a point guard from your primary score. Um, so you could do that with someone like Rogus. I 100% agree. I also think it would be interesting they take a direct route and, and target a guy like Jalen Brunson this offseason. Um, I'm actually curious. Again, I think we talked about it last pod, but I'm curious if you think that that's kind of maybe their number one target this offseason. Um, but, um, but yeah, yeah I, I think that that's, that's pretty fair to suggest. And I think that, I mean, I think that the biggest, bigger hole to me is like the prototype wing. Like Quentin Grimes and Barrett are the closest to that, but neither one of them has that freakish wingspan like a Scotty Barnes or something or Michael Bridges that allows them to truly be disruptive on both ends. Um, I guess from a stylistic standpoint, though, do you think they have a preference between pace and space, get up and down the floor, take a lot of threes? Um, You know, do you think that they want to like have a lot of prime, like, you know, take a lot of, you know, self-created threes. Do you think they'd want to zig when everyone else is zagging and maybe go big? Like, and do you think there's any parts of their, if there's a philosophy they're married to, do you think that there's going to be tension with Tibbs as a result of that? Uh, I mean, I definitely think that pull-up shooting is 100% something that they are very high on. I think that's obvious with how they've approached the draft. Even somebody like Rokas, who doesn't take a lot of pull-up threes, has a shot a pretty good percentage you on them. can't really go with Quick- against them, yeah. Right. Quickly, Grimes, Deuce, all of them shot well from pull-up three. Uh, OB is probably the only one that doesn't fit that, but even then, like for a four, he profiled as a very good shooter. We haven't seen that yet in the NBA, so we'll see how that develops. Um, that's definitely something they value. Obviously, Then you look at the guys they've signed over the over the two years they've been in charge. Uh, aside from Elf, you had Austin Rivers. You had Burks, obviously. Um, they brought back Bullock. Not a great pull-up shooter, but obviously a good shooter. Uh, again, we haven't seen that this year, but I think long enough sample says that um then you look at this year you know they added fournier they added kemba two guys who are good pull-up shooters rose has been encouraged to take more pull-up threes which he was doing um like i think that's definitely something that they value organizationally uh as far as the rest of it i don't know i i don't have a good feel for that i mean i think it does say something that tibbs was openly talking about we want to play faster um that has to come from somewhere i don't think that's something that tibbs would just like you know, I don't think that's something that he would just bring up uh, if that wasn't something that was discussed as an, uh, on a broader level. Um, I also would suggest that guys like 
you know, when you draft guys like Obi and Grimes specifically, they seem like players who are very comfortable playing a more open, fast-paced style. Uh, so that leads me to believe that they want those things. Um, I don't know about the rest of it. I'm not sure. B- big, small, I don't know. I mean, are they... It's a, It'll be interesting because I don't know if we're going to get that answer until we kind of see how they handle this whole Tibbs thing. Because if they keep... Like, if Tibbs just keeps doing the same shit and they keep supporting him, then clearly they have an ethos in line with Tibbs' ethos. Um, I'm not sure that's the case. I kind of tend to think it, it probably isn't. But, um, you know, if they fire Tibbs and they replace him with somebody similar, whatever, like, those are tells, but we're we're just not close to there. Um, and even, like, some of the assistants they brought in, you know, like, is Johnny Bryant somebody who's in line with Tibbs? I don't know. I have no clue. I would imagine not, considering kind of where he was as an assistant before this is Kenny Payne a Tibbs type guy. I have no clue. I honestly have no clue because yeah, he was a big man coach at Kentucky, but it's like, okay. I mean, what does that mean? What, you know, Obi's gotten better. Mitch hasn't necessarily developed a whole lot. Sims looks like he's improved to me when he's played this year, but obviously very, very small sample. Like we don't know what exactly that entails. Uh, I, I think he's a good coach. We just don't know like what exactly his principles are either, right? Um, you know, I just I don't know. I, I guess that that's a very big cop out, but like I, I just don't know beyond they seem to value pull up shooting, and I think that they want guys that all can dribble, pass, and shoot. Um, they tend to have, they seem to have something for like combo guards. I will say that they they seem to be very into combo guards, um, which is in line I mean, with think, Tibbs also. But yeah, isn't that in line with the modern NBA though? Because there aren't a lot of like who are the pure point guards out there. Elf, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, <laughs> first of all, like what a lot of like when you have like you know what, what is often referred to as '90s R and B Twitter. When you talk about '90s point guard, like you know '80s and '90s point guard, like Mark Jackson, like those guys were turning their back to the hoop and throwing entry passes like so much of the time, right? Um, even pick and roll is, was, was newer. And like, that was kind of a Jerry Sloan innovation in many ways. So like the, the explosive guy who gets to the rim is also newer to begin with. And then even beyond that, like there are very few, like there aren't that many point guards who are elite passers. Like Chris Paul, if anything, is kind of an anomaly. Most of them are elite at getting to the rim. Um, and then using that to create off of it. And then they have to be able to shoot a little bit. Right. But, um, you know, isn't, isn't the combo guard, like, are most teams like more likely to go for combo guards than point guards? Uh, yes, but um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely fair to bring up. Um, I do wonder, like, what we haven't seen them prioritize necessarily yet is getting guys who can dribble penetrate. Um, which you know they did acquire Rose, which. Fair enough. And yes, obviously Tibbs had a large say in that, but he's obviously a player who's able to dribble penetrate and get into the paint. Uh, they also haven't been in position in the draft necessarily to acquire one. We don't know what they could have done in trades. I don't think that was really significantly available to them in free agency. Again, the the point guards that were available to them were the ones that were available to them. I don't wouldn't describe. I I don't know. I don't think they had a chance at Paul and Lowry doesn't seem like it uh and then after that it's like what schroeder and nunn and kemba and like 
whatever other guys were available that in that kind of after the the top end range. None of them are guys that you're like, oh my god, I wish we had gotten him. You know, um, and it's yeah. And so it's really I just I don't know, but Yokubitis, because Yokubitis is the only guy in the current who could maybe profile as that, right? Um, yeah, or, or yeah, yeah. And they did draft him, so like I don't. Th- it's not like I I don't think they're oblivious to it. I just wonder if maybe that's something that they feel like, like that's kind of why I think their their ethos might be not ethos, but like their strategy might be that we can draft all these complementary pieces we believe we can do that very well and at some point we'll pull the trigger on getting like a primary engine who can kind of tie it all together because we believe that we can assemble these other pieces around him very easily we have the ability to identify those those talents because like look as much as we can sit here and talk about tibs and strategy and scheme and all this kind of shit but at the end of the day like if julius is playing like julius we're having a whole different discussion you know like if 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 RJ is making more threes and Julius is playing like Julius, this is a totally different discussion. But what does um, like could... Julius mean, right? I mean, I think it's becoming increasingly seems like it could be Julius is closer to this than he is to last year, right? Or this isn't the truer playing like Julius. I mean, he's playing worse than he did. Like he's played even his first year in New York. I have a very hard time believing that this is close to the the actual level of what he's playing. I mean, I think. Whatever is going on with him, he's shooting so bad from mid range, which is like, yeah, he was not as good for mid range um, as he's probably never going to shoot as good for mid range as he did last year. Um, but like, you know, the year before that, uh, if you look at it, so 2019 20, this includes, you know, just terrible Fisdale stuff 42.4% from 3 to 10 feet, 43.9% from 10 to 16 feet, 358 from long two. This year, 38.1% from 3 to 10 feet, 367 from 10 to 16 feet, 30.3% from long two. Like, forgetting the three-point drop-off, that's the bigger drop-off for me. That's con- that's not concerning, but it's like, that's the one I just don't think is, like, I, I, I think he's a better mid-range shooter than this. Um, and I, I'll be shocked if it doesn't come back up. Uh, by the end of the year, or it's like next year, moving forward, whatever. Uh, I just I refuse to believe that. I, I don't think that's true. Um, so I, I don't know. Like I, I think, yeah, I think if Julius is playing better, if RJ is shooting a bit better, if whatever, there's a variety of things that you could point to. Um, but like these guys, in a lot of ways, like they, they they need a primary creator. They need somebody that you can just run a pick and roll with and get a decent shot out of whether it be they pull their call their own number or they drive and kick or throw whatever they need somebody that can tie these, these pieces together because I do think they have good pieces. Um, they just don't have the guy that knits it, knits it together cohesively as a, as a unit. It makes sense. Uh, all right. Well, I guess we should mention that the Knicks made a trade today. Um, they acquired Denzel Valentine uh, this is not a trade for Denzel Valentine. Ian Begley has reported that it's very likely he's to be waived. Uh, all this trade did was get Dolan $1.1 in cash, and the Knicks exchanged the rights of Louis LeBerry, uh for two other guys who are never going to come over and play in the NBA. That's it. That's all this trade was. Thoughts on the yeah, trade? They made, a million, they made a million dollars. <laughs> they did. Um I will say, I, I do think like moves like this are they don't matter to us at all. They don't matter to the Knicks really at all in terms of the on court product. Um, if you're front office, 
it's smart to be able to make moves like this that get your owner some cash. It's always good to to keep the guy that's writing your checks happy. Uh, usually tends to buy you a little bit more leeway. Yeah, and I mean, to what extent does this help them? You know, if you help Cleveland and the Lakers facilitate a trade, is it worth getting on Rob Polinka's good side? I have no idea how a lot of that stuff works. My mm. my kind of naive take has always been that every front office is trying to screw each other. But in practice, that doesn't work, right? Teams that have friendlier relationships are more likely to do trades with each other. So, Yeah, I mean, I... I... Like here's the other thing. Uh, it's been also been reported. Ryan Archie Diacono is also signed a ten day contract with the Knicks. Um, cool. I don't know. He was a he's a Villanova guy, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. He's on the Bulls. Cool. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. This is this is good. Uh, Villanova guys. Uh, look, I don't I don't obviously think he matters, but I do wonder if Kemba's knee situation is worse than we think. Uh, I don't know about season ending or anything, but. Wouldn't surprise me. Um, Shams, Charan, Shams, 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 Charanya uh, reported that uh, that uh, the Knicks would likely keep Archie Diakno for the rest of the year. Would tend to make me think that maybe this Kemba thing is serious. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I would like to. I, I don't. I have no thoughts on Archie Diakno other than that he is a human being who plays basketball. Um, yeah, I remember he killed I the do, Knicks. Or he, or he, had, he scored more than like six points against the Knicks. I had never heard of him, so that annoyed me. Um, I think that's happened on a couple of occasions. But yeah, I mean, I think he's stuck around the league for a while. So I don't think it's a bad signing for the 15th guy. Yeah, and I wonder if there's another move coming down the pipeline because – uh, as friend of the pod, uh, Jeremy Cohen pointed out, they did beat out multiple teams for the signature of Daniel House on a 10-day contract, um, including the Lakers, who are presumably, potentially, they think they are uh, <laughs> a title contender. Um, but it would seem like if they beat out his signature or beat out teams for his signature, then there was a promise of something more than a 10 day contract for him. Um, because house profiles is a guy who would probably play real minutes for the Lakers, especially. Uh, so I wonder if there is something else cooking, brewing um, to open up a roster spot to make his signing permanent or whatever. I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing shit out there. Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely an opportunity to consolidate, right? Um, and mm-hmm. I don't it, usually you think about consolidating for a star. Um, but my guess is you'll probably have a few moves. Um, you know, they, they might just trade someone like Burke straight for a pick, right? Um, you know, hopefully a first, but you know, they might trade someone like Noel and Burks, you know, for I think I think Noel and Burks to Atlanta for like I know you're not a big fan of Ken Reddish, but something like that could happen. I think both of those guys would help Atlanta. Scam Reddish? Yeah, I'm reddish, yeah. Uh, the greatest player of that big three, people have told me, <laughs> of, of Zion, him, and Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Um, <laughs> you know, which has always, um, yeah, but point being, um, I, I, I think that would probably be what is indicated. Um, I, I think that, yeah, I think if Sims, they probably like what they see from Jericho Sims. Uh, they have Lucas Amanich, and Gibson has acquitted himself well. 
I don't know that they would see Nerlens Noel as someone you need to keep around unless they unless you think that they need him to make some star trade work down the line. But barring that, and barring that, they're probably there is that trade isn't going to happen this year. And to your, I think we've talked about this before, but you can always find salaries to make that work. Um, and you know they're they're probably not going to they're they're not going to be a contender this year. I think they end up Noel Noel Burks. Um, Probably not, definitely not Kemba. Uh, maybe one other person. Maybe Taj. If they, but they're probably not going to get value for Taj, and he's he's good for the he's a good depth piece. Like you will probably. Want I to also would like to keep Taj because he's one of the few vet. Like he's a good vet to have around. So, yeah, and yeah. and to, he is a the closest thing we do have to a stretch five. He can't really shoot, but he's the only five that can hit a jump shot on the roster. Um, he's the only five that can like execute a post move pass you know on a, off a double team so he's by no means Nikola Jokic but he's probably the most offensively skilled Tibbs definition of center so uh, but I think those two guys get moved I think that opens up at that point you probably you're not going to sign someone who has serious playing time aspirations uh and then Daniel Daniel House is like if he has the stability where he can stay on the team that's probably what it is and that's tough to find for like a 14th 15th guy you know um Wayne Sel- who I don't think I don't think as as much as the Knicks front office may not have liked Frank, they would pref- prefer Frank Nilakina to Wayne Selden, right? But uh, the reality is he's going to go where he wants, where he's going to get an opportunity to play. And um, so a guy like House, it, when, if and when the Knicks consolidate, they're going to have to find more guys like that who are willing to accept those lesser roles. And for that subset, House is a pretty talented player. And, you know, I, I would imagine that's where the thinking is. Yeah, he's also, also got... Go ahead. It'll also allow them to bring up Simonic, which the way he's playing in the G League and to what we've talked about, his skill set, like dribble, pass, shoot, and at, at true five position size, I would imagine they want to bring him up at some point and see what he looks like. Yeah, I mean, he honestly might be the best player of all time. So I should probably consider bringing <laughs> Best player him up. named Luca, maybe not the best player of all time. but Yeah, uh, you know, either you're slinging crack rock or you got a wicked jump shot, right? Luca's got the jump shot, so bring him up, call him up here. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I agree. I mean, I think Samanich. I, I I would be lying to you if I told you I've watched any of his G League shit. But like, just as an like his profile, how he looks athletically, all that kind of stuff. Like, there's, I I, I understand why he won in the first round. You know, like I get why and why maybe the Knicks think there's something there. It'd be interesting to see him before the end of the season. Um, but, like, ultimately, you get these guys on the scrap heap for a reason. Uh, it's very rare you pull somebody off and they're a difference maker. But, like, yeah, I mean, just in terms of getting somebody of that profile so you can play a certain way, it would be worth it to at least maybe just give that a chance, right? And just give us an idea of, like, okay, well, it's not so much about him as much as, like, how other guys look with a player like that, right? But, yeah. And, and it helps you, to your point, establish an identity. Last year they established one, but they need to evolve beyond that on offense. And so to have a guy, a, a stretch five, right, who's going to play at a higher pace, who can knock down open shots, um, you know, A, I think that he fits in many ways the profile of the kind of guys who've worked out, where talent really has never been the issue, but maturity has. And um, whether that's, I'm not hand-waving that as a red flag. A lot of 21-year-olds do pre-win their maturity, right? Um, on the other hand, um, to your point, yeah, like I think if you're trying to establish an identity in a way you want to play, 
him as a placeholder for the guy that maybe maybe it is a milestone or maybe it's a better version of that player um, makes sense. I mean, uh, I don't think any of us have very fond memories of Chris Duhon, and I'm certainly not trying to suggest that he changed the Knicks or anything, but he gave the Knicks, you know, they were able to use him to play a certain way, heavy pick and roll, um, you know, that D'Antoni identity. They were able to start to establish it before they got Felton, right? And then All-time for assist leader. All-time assist leader. So, and then you had that half season of um, Chris Dude. I I always called him Dude. Um, but um, you know, then you were able to to get Felton, and for half season they really established that that D'Antoni identity. So I think that's why, like, I'm trying to think, like, what does the the? I mean, obviously the front office sees the roster and they want to add two stars. Probably they want two superstars, and Randall may or may not be one of them. Right now, the answer looks closer to no. But stylistically, what kind of identity in the meantime do you want to establish with those placeholders, the guys who may or may not be placeholders? And that's where, to your, that's where you know, I, I think that Lucas Simonich could be very useful. And who knows, maybe as a diamond in the rough that, 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 that they can hit big on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what you need, ultimately. you gotta got to get lucky at some point. So um, we know that the Knicks have not always been very lucky. So... Anyway, uh, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about before we get out of here? Um, no, that's, that's it. Cool. Uh, by the way, Jericho Sims also cleared. So Mitch and Jericho Sims cleared at a health protocol. Um, rest in peace, all of Obi at the five minutes ever. Um, but I'm happy to have them back. I'm happy that they're they're good and that they're in good health and they're they're out of protocol. So hopefully we see them tomorrow. Um, Stacy, is there anything that you'd like to plug before you get out of here? Uh, shout out Colin Loring. He just started a Substack. Uh, I think it's called yeah, it's called Small Sample Size Substack. So if you follow him um, and you enjoy his tweets and writing, uh, make sure to check it out. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I'll also plug that Substack, uh, and I'll plug Strickland. I will plug guys like Ariel and Benji who do fucking bunch of film threads amid the misery of what is becoming increasingly one of the most annoying seasons because of annoying things. Um, it's very hard to, I guess the last thing I'd say is uh, it's just very hard to, um, I understand why there's so many people that are frustrated with the season and why it feels like the worst thing ever, because it almost feels like the way Tibbs is coaching uh, is impacting kind of how things are seen, but um, hopefully it gets better as the season goes along. Um, We'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, I, I guess that's that's all for the pod today. And uh, I will see everybody on Friday.
Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.